Go ahead and have a seat, everyone, and um, welcome in you who are live stream with us this morning. Um, sometimes you wonder, and I want to report to you as kids are making their way to the back, a whole bunch of them to Miss Jamie and wonderful team of people that are going to talk Jesus talk to kids. How's that sound? Kind of, we're going to do that too to grown-ups in a minute here. But let me just say, uh, you who are live stream, our room is getting fuller and fuller. It's a really great uh, kind of thing that's happening. And unless there's something that develops in the next five days, I understand Oregon will be uh, officially uh, mask-free. Yes, can I get an amen, right? And uh, it's probably a good time to say this. We plan to follow that. Uh, as a church, we also want you to know that if for whatever reason you choose to wear a mask, we're not going to boo you. We're not going to put you in a weird section or something different. You're part of us, you know. It's for, it's for all of us. So uh, let's get there together, okay? Let's, we've been through a lot, and uh, we're going we're gonna to survive. We're going to rise above. And uh, bless you if somehow in Ukraine you're able to hear us. This morning, you're on our hearts, and um, some of you are live streaming now in parts of this country, and I want you to get this to your friends if you have them in the, the, the sort of uh, the war zone, if, if we could call it that. Um, they are amazing people. They would probably prefer just the opposite. We want you all to know we're okay. We're going to get there. We're going to get there together. And uh, praise God for that. They, in fact, are probably my best example today of uh, metal that's being tested. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4. And I also want you to open up your outline. You'll see a title that probably will confuse you, but only for a moment. Uh, there's no misprint. Um, even though we were tempted to put to spell metal the old-fashioned way. Uh, but it's a different spelling, and some of you may know about the meaning of that different spelling. But we do live, let me introduce it this way. We do live in a time, we know, where boldness and courage are called for almost constantly, correct? I mean, it's really true. For two years, we could all say we've been part of um, something together that called for great courage and and great boldness at times in our world, uh, known as a pandemic. Um, we are, we are uh, persevering people. I have shined at times, and I have been the person you didn't want to be around at times during COVID. I was mad at the governor, and still am. No, uh, <laughs> but I, I just have my, my ups and downs. I'm human like you, and I try to keep the downs close by and not make it your problem. Uh, but a pandemic has called on us to do things that we're not uh, accustomed to doing on a regular basis, to be bold and courageous in a variety of ways. And then bring it a little closer, more of us were involved with uh, riots and unrest uh, we thought, this is looking like Beirut around here. What is going on? And no offense to Beirut, but that's what we saw in the news, a broken country, a broken city. And, and then it came here. And that called for boldness. It called for uh, to dig deep for courage, to 
to be a God woman or a God man in, in a world that's godless. I'm not just talking Portland. We have our problems, but there's a lot of cities in this country that kind of lost their way. And Christians have to be bold and, and courageous in those times, right? I've already said it. We've already prayed for them, but let's get real personal and real present. It's, it's a time for boldness and courageous living for God's people in Ukraine and in other countries like ours that have a voice in what's going on. And um, I won't read you the letter unless you write me, and I will tell you the letter I wrote our, our, our senators from Oregon because I thought they needed a, a little uh, pep talk. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I'm not I, I prayed and asked the Lord to give me the boldness and courage to write, write them what I wrote them and um, haven't heard back. But anyway, but those are just a few. I thought of, okay, what are examples today where we have to live bold, courageous lives? Those are just a few on my list of things, of developments that test my metal. Test my metal. How would you describe your metal? I'm purposefully not defining it just yet. You get a hint. It's an inference in what I'm saying. How would you, how would you describe your metal? Now you're ready to write it down. Here's the definition we're going to work with all morning. It's bigger than this, but this is at the core of it. Courage to carry on. That's metal. M-E-T-T-L-E. Courage to carry on. On. Metal is the stuff of resolve, not but resolve. You see the difference in my look? <laughs> Different, right? Metal says I've got I've got the tenacity, I've got determination, I've got resolve. I will not look back and I will not retreat. I will not give up and I will not go away, right? You're hearing metal come out of me. That's easy for me to say because I got an audience and you're impressed by it. But it's in my soul. This is something that's real to me. And it's real to a whole bunch of y'all. And that's great. We're going to talk about how it existed uh, in some standout people in chapter 4 of Acts. If someone were to test your metal, they would be looking to see if you have the heart to follow through when the going gets tough. Okay? Almost anybody can follow through by getting up and going to work tomorrow morning. And, and that's, you don't get a star for that. You really don't. Uh, you get a paycheck. Um, and that was the arrangement when you got hired. You would do this for them, and they would do that for you. Okay? But if it's a terrible work environment, you're just getting beat up all the time, now your metal's showing. It's kind of in play in such a situation. And it's the heart that's required of you to, to power through 
to um, keep going, to keep getting up. That's metal. All right. So do you have the metal that you want to have? I'm not indicting anybody here. I don't have anybody in mind but myself. Do you have the stuff? That's what I've been asking myself. Um, and if you are one that says, you know, Pastor, I could grab the mic right now and tell you about my metal. I want to know a question, uh, an answer to a question. Where'd you get it? How'd you get your metal? All right. I hope you'll share your answer to your family today. Uh, go to coffee with somebody. Be in your life group. Talk about your metal. It's a great question. I have a bunch of questions I do every week. I learned uh, along the way that, you know, a lot of people don't read them, and I almost gave up on them, and I had some others beg me to keep them. So I'm kind of, you know, going to stay with it. But they're good questions that get you deep into this thing. So the apostles here in Acts 4 um, were facing the first big test of their mettle by being called in to the religious uh, authorities to explain their actions. Now take that sentence in. You're minding your own business. You're doing good things, and suddenly you get called, uh, we would say, on the carpet. And somebody's going, hey, 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 what, 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 what are you doing? That's the scene here in Acts chapter 4. So as you turn there, um, the, the, the apostles, two by name, are faced with a very pressure-filled moment. Their names are Peter, of course, and John. And we talked about them last week. We're going to go a step further with them. Uh, this morning. I'm really excited about this. So they've been arrested over their claim to have healed a lame man in the name of the resurrected Jesus. It went like this. Look at verse 1. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, explaining what we did for the lame man in the name of the resurrected Jesus. Okay? So they come up mid-speech, and they were greatly, verse 2, greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized Peter and John because it was evening, and they put them in jail until the next day. Now, be Peter and John right now, would you? So you've already read enough that would make any of us nervous. Remember, you did good things. It'd be like today, preaching one of my best sermons ever, in my opinion. Uh, and when I'm done, uniform guys meet me at the back and say, you're coming with us, Jack. I go, whoa, what for? We don't like what we hear. Oh. And, and on my ride to wherever they took me, I think I would, I would be, let's just say most of us would be nervous. Did I miss something here? I'm pretty clear about tribula tribulation and trials, but would I be okay in that moment? And, and, then, um, and then if I was required to stand before people the next day, 
a room full of people and explain myself, that would, I think, leave most of us weak-kneed. Let's look at that again and see how that all unfolded. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law, I'm reading verse 5. They met in Jerusalem, and Annas and the high priest was there. Um, so was Caiaphas, the former one, John, Alexa John and Alexander, and others of the high priest family were there. And they had Peter and John brought in before them. By what power or what name did you do this? They are asked. So let me stop and say this body is known as the Sanhedrin. It was the supreme council. We could use the word court. It was the supreme council of uh, final authority when it came to Jewish law. Okay? These are pros. They're all pros. In fact, these are the supreme court pros when it comes to Jewish law. Okay? So they're not rookies. They know what they're doing and they know what they're talking about. And you, uh, John and Peter, are called to face them. And, and in that moment, it would be comparable, literally, to standing in front of and explaining yourself to the Supreme Court. Oh, and by the way, it should be noted, neither of them had any formal training and no preparation. We don't read that they were arrested and sat down and began to work on their defense. There's nothing known about either of them as to whether they went to law school. Um, they walked with Jesus for three years. So this is the kind of situation that I'm describing today as testing your mettle. Talk about a test. Right? You're with me now. So how did it go? Well, surprisingly, shockingly, well, you be the judge. Pick up with me in verse 8. Then Peter, in response to the question of verse 7, by what power and what name did you do this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this for sure. You and all the people of Israel get this point. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. That Jesus is the stone you builders. Do you see fingers being pointed? This man stands with you, and that Jesus, whom you crucified, you get the sign language going on here, he was rejected, but he's become the cornerstone. And while we're talking about Jesus, you all need to hear verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. <laughs> all right? 
For there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. And Peter dropped the mic. He did. He did. Look at the quotations at the end of verse 12. He was done with his defense. He put it on the line and took his seat. So um, I used to watch court TV and stuff like that. How many? Judge Judy, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't care for the, um, the theatrics. But um, one of the things that um, I noticed uh, in certain trials, a judge does not permit cameras in a courtroom, right? So what are we left to? A court reporter. And a court reporter will, will actually write things for a newspaper and for a release to say what happened. In some cases, they'll add a, an artist and there'll be sketches and renderings if it's a super sort of sealed court trial. And so we have Luke, the human author of the book of Acts, uh, same guy that wrote the gospel of Luke. So we have Luke as a court reporter because we don't have a visual of the reaction of the court, the 70-member Sanhedrin. Remember, Peter's just given it. And then he sat down. So thanks to Luke, we have some impressions, and he gives a bit of a detailed description um, that makes it not so hard to imagine what the aftermath was. It's two verses here, verse 13 and 14. Look, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that those two had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man, the lame man now healed, who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Now, let's just take it in, the court reporter's impression. Because Luke's making a deal about the fact that they... They stood out to this Sanhedrin full of regalia as normal people. They, they, the words he uses here are um, unschooled, ordinary people, ordinary men. I want you to think of high school hacks, right? These are just a couple of dudes that barely made it through high school. I, I mean, no offense to blue-collar workers. I was a teamster. So, but these are just, these are teamsters, they work hard. They, they're not into the academia. They bust their pick and go to work and come home and do it again tomorrow. That's, they're just ordinary, simple guys. They don't. You ask to see their library, and they go, oh, I can show you where the library is, down on Hall Boulevard. And then, No, you see what I mean? It's no big deal. We, you're either a blue-collar person or you're good friends with one. I've been both. So, so that's who these guys were. were the, the, the impression of the Sanhedrin is, I want you to picture this. They're all men, by the way, a Sanhedrin, looking for somebody with a monster beard right there. It's not really it's a goatee that's going crazy, right? It's a, it's a very cool goatee. So imagine everybody in the room, all the men, collectively stroking their beard. Looking at these two and going, what? 
they're pontificating, and they, they, they don't have the moxie that it takes to stand in a court of law like this because they're unschooled, untrained. That's the impression we're supposed to get from Luke's report. There's, there's another thing, too. He uses the word, you see it, astonished, in verse 13? They were astonished. Why? Because they got it. Here's these two guys in front of us, and they're not quaking, quivering, looking for an exit. They're not being, you know, uh, cheap shot stuff, you know, where they just, you know, dress them down. They're just standing there saying things, and that got the attention of these Sanhedrin so that Luke said they were astonished. Everybody look astonished. If your mask isn't on, I can see your astonished look. You just, your jaw drops because they're astonished and amazed, and we're told why, right? The verse, begin of verse 13, because of the courage. The metal, the courage to carry on. And um, they even knew where they got that courage. Verse 13 says they knew that they had been with Jesus. Wow. That's a, actually an important revelation. Furthermore, and verse 14 gives us this, they could not deny the evidence. The healed man was standing right there in front of them. Oh, there's one more reaction. It's not in the text. Can I give it to you? It's the Greek word squirming. The Sanhedrin, if you were there that day, you'd be squirming. You would be, remember the, uh, remember the commercial, the airline commercial? Want to get away? More than half of the room probably said that that day. It's like, oh my goodness. We came in here to bruise, if not beat up these guys with our uh, pompous, you know, intimidation. And none of it worked. So they order the two, verse 15 tells us, they order them out of the chamber to discuss the predicament that they found themselves facing. That's what they did. They dismissed them. Let's call verses 16 to 18 their deliberation. Let's just read it real quick here. What are we going to do? First question, verse 16. Okay, guys, they're gone. What are we going to do? That's the tone here. Oh, my gosh. We are in a quandary. Say it with me. Quandary. Okay, that means there's no good way forward. What are we going to do, they say to these, to, uh, as the guys leave? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign, miracle, and we cannot deny it. Ugh. Cross that possibility off the list. But to stop their, th these guys, to stop this thing that they're talking about from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them. 
to no longer speak to anyone in this name. Verse 18, then they called them back in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You know, verse 16 reminds me of that, uh, remember that saying that came out of the movie, Houston, we have a problem. What are we going to do? That was a perplexing moment for them. And there's a, a, a prima facie evidence. I called my legal expert, John Moore, this week, and he gave me um, confirmation that, in fact, the man standing there was evidence that couldn't be ignored. It was game-changing evidence. You could argue, well, I think I know Jesus and you don't know Jesus. We can argue all day long about that one. We can argue about whether Jesus healed this guy or not. But here's the deal. The guy stood right there. He was proof positive, we would say. There was no need for anything further. Everyone could see. Two times we're told in verse 14 and verse 16. Two times we're told they could see the healed guy. That is a problem if you're the Sanhedrin. So we got this healed guy, and what are we going to do? So desperate was this moment I'm trying to capture for us that they reached for the, the, the they made the bully move, the gag order. So that's exactly why we read uh, verse 17 and 18, that they called him back in again and gave them the gag order. Their conclusion was, we can't, we can't fix this thing, so let's just do whatever it takes to shut these guys up so they'll go away. That's what was happening. And I wish I had a gavel. I almost brought one. At that moment, at the end of verse 18, there's a, there's a gavel that slams down, and words were heard, case dismissed. Um, and at the end of verse 18, would you look at that again with me? Um, it's hard to hear, but there's a huge sigh of relief that came to the bench at the end of verse 18. We told them, hey, you punk, shut up and get out of here. We better not hear from you again. Gavel slammed, case closed. Um, <clears throat> but it, unfortunately for the Sanhedrin, it didn't last long. Um, it was interrupted, and I'm just going to say how it impacts me, by a totally unexpected development in verse 19. It's when Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? Remember, the court trial is over. I didn't ask John this, but I su would suppose when the gavel strikes, you better not speak up to the judge at that point because the case is closed. Court adjourned. But Peter and John break that rule. And they replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. 
As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. If it pleased the court, I got to tell you other options that were in front of Peter and John. Uh, under the circumstances, you actually might have expected the disciples to go, that was close, just walk, mind your own business, and, and leave quietly. And when you get out of court, you're giddy with excitement that it didn't go much harder for you. That would have been a possibility. Here's another possibility that I thought my way through that I might have done. It would have been quiet. I, perhaps I might have um, respectfully said, thank you, your honors, your, your, your the Sanhedrin, thank you for everything, and left there, and then uh, quietly, stealthily defied their order, the gag order. I would have found my way to that. But this is not that. Instead, they speak up with calm determination, actually admitting their plan to defy the council's order in view of obeying God. That's a huge moment. Their metal shows the courage to carry on in the face of opposition. It's all right here. It's what they're doing. Um, clearly their defiance did not please the Sanhedrin, right? How do I get that? Because you can see it in verse 21. Right away, they, they threatened them top to bottom and let them go. They laid it on thick. If we see you in here again, you can imagine what they said. You come in here again and it won't go so easy. You won't survive that. Yada, yada, yada. Um, I love at the end of verse 21, don't, don't miss this. The, it seems to me that the court is actually deadlocked. They didn't know what to do. Um, all the people were praising God. Um, so <clears throat> uh, let the celebration begin, right? If you're Peter and John, you leave the room. And you're, you're lit up. Moments after the release, they did what I would expect I would have done. They, they run to their people. For me, it would have been to my, my wife, my kids, my people that are close circle. I would have come to Grace Point and told you with a thrill and an and a excitement in my voice, you know, your prayers pulled this off. We did it. You know, we rose up. I mean, it would have been all this cool kinds of stuff. And theirs isn't very different than that. Look at verse 23. Just read the, the next move they make. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests, the court, and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised, they prayed. Their first reaction, verse 24, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heavens and earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his holy anointed one. That's not only true uh, in their 
experience. It was true in Jesus' experience, and it went all the way back to David's day. Look at verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They they weren't mavericks. They weren't out of control. This was all under the sovereign plan of God. And verse 29, now, Lord, consider their threats. Remember, that's where we left off back at verse 21. They they bring that up in prayer. Now, consider their threats and, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And their prayer meeting ended with these wonderful words. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was rocked. It was shaken. And all of the people were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word how? Boldly. They had a great amen moment. It's a, this is cool stuff. They, they, they had passed the first test of metal, their metal. And they had passed it with flying colors. It's just remarkable what's going on here. Filled with resolve and and determination and tenacity. It's all here. And did you notice? I hope you noticed verse 29, what's not there. They never asked God to remove the threat. What did they say about the threat? Give us the courage to face it and go through it. The metal to carry on. I want to be a prayer like that. I want to be that kind of prayer that I was called this years ago, a deer, a steer in the blizzard. And that's like a cow. Just you ever seen a cow in a, I don't know, Alberta, Canada or something in the middle of winter. They're just kind of standing there and they don't know that it's cold outside. They don't know that they can't see because their eyes are covered with ice and snow. They just stand there. I'm not going anywhere, and I'm not moving. And in case you haven't checked, I'm not dying. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to be that. They wanted to be that way. These are people that actually said, Lord, may I, may I, is it going too far to say, don't take the threats away. Those threats don't bother us. Give us what we need in spite of the threats. People, does that represent taking your game up a little bit? I think it does, all of us. I'm not worried about that. Remember years ago, we were doing a Bible study. Uh, We had them spread out in homes all over uh, Southern Cal uh, in our college ministry. And we had one that was just busting at the seams. And... um, and so naturally, and they're all in homes, so in this neighborhood, uh, some people were a little nervous with the, you know, the large traffic and, and cars on the street and such. Everybody's legally parked. We made a point of that, but came a knock on the door, and um, it was a uniformed police officer, and he said, this is an illegal gathering. And the answer was, respectfully, sir, I'm not sure it is. We, we are... Uh, this is not a business. This is a, a Bible study. And um, 
And it was interesting because there was a reaction when the door closed. He understood, and he, it was all very respectful with the officer. And then, and then the people on the inside, there was kind of a, a mix of reactions. Some were like, oh, man, we can't let that happen again. You know, we got to, because it, it, was, it was totally legal and fine. But there was a, an intimidation factor that quickly moved in for some. And then there was others that said, you know, they got to come with guns drawn. I'm like, that, let's rule that one out. That's not going to work here. And, but running won't work either. We need metal that says, I'm going to carry on. There's a little resistance right now, and we did. And, um, you know, it was, it was great and continued to thrive. Um, so I have a question as we get ready for communion. What was their secret? What was... Well, let's say all the disciples, not just, I mean, right now it's James and, or uh, John and Peter. They're the ones highlighted here. But what was their source? Think of metal as something you, that you acquire, okay? What was the supply? Where did the supply of metal come? Where did the courage to carry on in the face of opposition or resistance come from? I'm asking you that question based on the story we just read. It's not hidden, by the way. There you go. It's the, look at verse 8. Everybody look at verse 8 again. Everybody read it. I'm not going to read it for you. You read it. And then flip to the end, verse 31. Read it again. Not coincidentally. In fact, look at verse 19 and 20. And you, you, you've got to have a question on your mind. How did Peter say those things? And John, um, after court was adjourned, how do you do that? Except the Holy Spirit. You said it correctly. The Holy Spirit came upon them and moved powerfully despite their threats to say no. And you notice they didn't insult them. They, their words cannot be read as a rip. Verse 19, hey, which is right in God's eyes is not read. You can't read it sassy. Almost get a feeling like they cleared their throat and a pardon me. I don't know, high ones or your highness or your respected leaders, whatever they said. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. But we just need you to know we can't, we can't help speaking. We can't not speak. There was a humility there, was there not? And there was a Holy Spirit presence in this moment. So what does that mean? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's just not assume we know. I want you to think of being filled with something. Let's start with joy. You just got engaged. You just found out some great news. You gotta, you, you're going to have a baby. Uh, you got your first home. You know, I'm thinking of the sweet moments in my life. You are filled with joy. What happens? You are you do the ha the happy dance, right? You know, right? And you and you you your joy is, turns to laughter for some people. It turns to tears of joy. We say, 
for other people, right? And let's say you're in a situation that's outrageous and wrong. And you can't just sit there. You tried to, but you just can't. So something rises up inside you, and it spills over in righteous indignation. That happened to me when I wrote Our Senators. I thought their, their response in a situation was just so vanilla. And I thought, we need, we need more than that. And I respectfully rose up, and I, I literally sat there in my chair and thought, I cannot not uh, say something. And I was honorable. I read it to, to my wife. She thought it was good. And um, they didn't, I guess. They haven't written back. You get my point? You, you hear what I'm saying? So that's what it means to spill over. So if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you have metal as a result, the courage, you know, the stuff we've been talking about, confidence and boldness, um, th- that shouldn't surprise you. That's Holy Spirit stuff. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit to overflowing, it looks like this. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5, Therefore be careful how you walk. Think of the Sanhedrin that day for James and John. Therefore, think of your situation. Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Does that describe today? And then it says this. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And finally, and do not be drunk with wine, for that will ruin your life. But, in contrast, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. You say, I'm going to be with you, Holy Spirit. And I'm going to spend time communing with you so that when threats come knocking on my door or life, I'm not going to cut and run. I'm going to humbly stand tall. And speak well. And I'll leave the results to the resurrected Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? As servers make their way forward, we're going to bring you, as we do on communion Sundays, the bread and the cup. And I want you to think about your life right now. And course you're thinking about what you would do if you were Peter or you were John that's that's the best thought of all how would you handle that would you would you have been okay or when they spoke up and said don't say stuff like that ever again that's the bigger test of your metal is it not what would you have done then Being filled with the Holy Spirit is their secret. It's their source of success in a very, very tense situation. And it will be your source of success in similar situations. The one you're in right now, whatever that might be. Being filled with the Holy Spirit begins by bowing your knee and surrendering your heart to Jesus Christ. 
The Holy Spirit is not a commodity. He's a person that comes to live inside of every believer that bows their knee to the one that gave his life for you. That's the moment the Holy Spirit comes into your life. So I'm going to ask you, have you bowed your knee to Jesus? That's where it begins. If you haven't, now's that time. If you're hearing me from some faraway place, please hear it from the Holy Spirit himself. Today is your day. Earlier in the same chapter, in the same book, Acts 3.19, just read it. It's true. And being filled with the Holy Spirit for you, as it was for Peter and John, takes then yielding your spirit, yielding your spirit so that the Holy Spirit's control comes to give you the courage to fearlessly Go wherever and say whatever he asks you to say and do and go. Have you surrendered your spirit to him? It's an ongoing thing. You got to do it daily, sometimes all day long. The bread and the wine of communion portray Jesus giving his life for us. As we remember him, would you make your prayer like mine and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you again? Let's share in communion.